San Diego's talk radio leader, 760 KFMB presents It's Your Money and Your Life. For the next hour, Richard Musio and Joe Vecchio will educate and inform you on matters related to your financial future, your life, and your leisure. Now, with It's Your Money and Your Life, here are Richard and Joe. All right. Good evening, everybody. My name is Joe Vecchio, your co-host, announcer, and producer, coming to you from KFMB Studios with 50,000 watts of power. We're here not just in San Diego County, but Orange County, L.A. County, up the coast of Seattle on a good night, down to Cabo, out to the desert. You can hear us on iTunes if you search the title of this show, It's Your Money and Your Life. All these podcasts are commercial-free on iwaymoney.com. And time to introduce the main man of the hour. He's a CPA extraordinaire. He's an accomplished marathon runner. He's an author. He's a lecturer. He's a family office expert advising several high-net-worth families, a philanthropist. What did I leave out, Richard? Musio, how are you tonight? <laughs> Doing marvelous. Hey, I, went, I went to the Star Luncheon the other day, and I think about 12 out of the 40 people there said they heard our show with Jason Kruger. Is that right? So either we're popular or accounting is popular. I'm or, not sure which. Or maybe Jason's popular. Or Jason's popular. <laughs> Something's popular. Yeah. Well, that was a pretty good show. It was a good show. I thought especially the, the second half. But I didn't know that anybody listened when we did accounting. Well, I was at the event with uh, Jay Flatley. I think I said Jeff Flatley, but the CEO of Aluminum. And a gentleman yeah, Jay Flatley. A gentleman uh, yeah. at that program came up to me and said, uh, he saw my name tag. He said, no, I think I've heard your show on the radio. But he couldn't remember which guest, but uh, at least uh, he remembers hearing us. So I guess that's the main well, thing. It's good stuff to have that many people tell me you were, you know, that they're that they're listening. Yeah. You can't miss it. Can't do without it. It wouldn't be the weekend without our show. Yeah, and it's uh, press club uh, submission time again, so I, better, I have to get busy on that. Um, we have to get those in by the middle of August. Remind me, Richard. So. Hey, Joe, remember <laughs> to get the press club <laughs> submissions in by the middle of August. You'll have to do it more than once. You know? okay, My brain you. isn't what it used to be, and that's a we good lead. We can talk lead. about that later. That's a good lead-in for, for yeah. tonight's show. But um, anyway, uh, talk to Wendy Gillespie today, and George Takei is about to open on Broadway uh, with uh, Allegiance, uh, September 1, the auditions begin uh, in august sometime middle of august and they're good to go i think they've uh, upgraded the music and all kinds of neat things and he's locked in for a year over there so uh w- let's wish them well I'm, I'm sure the show is going to be a, a success like it that, was yeah here. that's an excellent piece of work that i think yeah. that might have been the highest grossing ever here at the old globe it was the highest that's that's uh that's the story that I've been hearing, too, so, so it's uh, done real well. Good stuff. Uh, anyway, I don't want to waste too much time uh, because we have a, a, very, uh, a very important guest in, in the studio with us for this particular program. Uh, I've met him at a couple of occasions. I, I know, uh, well, former guest UCSD Chancellor Pradeep Khosla um, spearheaded a, a conference um, on ethics, transparency, and civility Last October, and I met this gentleman there, and I met him at a couple other events, but uh, he is, let me give you some of his credentials. I can't give him all because we'll be here for half the show, but he's co-director of the CalBrain Initiative. He's associate director of the Cavley Institute for Mind and Brain. He's a director of the Center for Brain Activity Mapping out of UCSD. Uh, he's a professor, well, he's got all these other titles, but I, I'm not going to take any more time. Otherwise, we'll be here for another 15 minutes. But his name is Dr. Ralph Greenspan. Ralph, uh, welcome to our program. Thanks very much. I'm delighted to be here. Outstanding. So, uh, well, let's get a little bit into your background. Uh, I know you've been studying neuro, you know, neuro, neuroscience in the brain for, for most of your life, but I, I, and I, I know you went to Brandeis as an undergrad, so... Um, why don't we start start there? Where'd you, I guess where did you grow up and go to high school? Let's let's even go back further. I grew up in the Philadelphia suburbs mm-hmm. and and went to high school there, and uh, then as you say, I went on to college at Brandeis mm-hmm. and graduate school there as well. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I see you got your bachelor's in biology, uh, and then you go right into your PhD in biology. What happened to the master's? You just leapfrog right into. <laughs> yeah, for in in, in re- science research PhD programs, you do you go straight into it. Wow, I didn't know that. Okay, and then your postdoctoral training uh, at UC uh, San Francisco from seventy nine eighty two. Uh, was it all about the brain from the very beginning and the Drosophila f- fruit flies? and All about the brain and how they're influenced by genes. Huh. That, that's the reason for doing it in that little little fruit fly. Huh. Amazing. <laughs> <laughs> so you've been studying those. Basically, you did your Ph.D. work in that and everything, right? Yeah, I've been doing it all my career and pretty much since the beginning of that field as, as, a, as a discipline. So you can actually see the brain of a fruit fly or is that, or, or? Yeah, with, with some help. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, your, your CV goes on and on. It's nine pages, honors, awards. Uh, I, I won't get into all that because it just would be uh, just too time consuming. Patents in there, you even have some patents here. Look at this. Ha- haven't been too lucrative. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it was for the attorney who did them. But. Yeah, but let's let's <laughs> let's read one of these methods for identifying compounds for motion sickness, vertigo, and other disorders related to balance and the perception of gravity. So you've got a patent on the, how does that work? These were all based on papers that we published on fruit fly behavior, huh. and we uh, identified certain behaviors in them and some of the genes that influence them which seem to be the same ones that are in us. Well, did that lead to some new therapies or some new applications? or? Uh, well, that's still... what I mean when I said it wasn't too oh, good. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so you've identified the compounds. I just haven't figured out how to put those into popular use, I guess. or It was a way of ident- it was It was a screen for compounds, hmm. but we weren't going to undertake that ourselves, and I don't think anybody's picked that up. Yeah, you need some medical help on that, I would think so. And then the other one was uh, uh, modulate vigilance states. I don't, I mean, I don't really know what that is. But... Sleep. Sleep. Oh, okay. Yeah, <laughs> a, fancy, a fancy way of talking about sleep and waking. Ah, wonderful. Anyway, uh, so, all so right. So, question, why the interest in the brain from such an early point in your career? Uh, because it seemed like uh, the, the truly unknown frontier, really. And when I, was, when I began in the mid-'70s, it was pretty unknown. Mm-hmm. I mean, they just weren't doing that much research. It's just, well, we didn't have much computer technology back then either. It was with no, the four research p- had been done, but we knew a lot about individual nerve cells, but very little about the brain as a whole. Hmm. And it's been a long haul, even just to get to the first stages of that now. Hmm. But then that's what the Brain Initiative is all about. Absolutely. Well, I guess we should get into that story. We, uh, I know the president in, uh, was it uh, April of 2013, right? Mm-hmm. Um he invited a bunch of people in this field, yourself included, and uh, Chancellor Kosler included, to announce this great federal program about researching the brain and, and kicking off this neurotechnology sector. So how did that even happen? You said there was a great story behind it. A lot of accidents. <laughs> <laughs> so my, the institute that I'm in is, is uh, supported by this organization called the Cavley Foundation, uh, out of um, Oxnard that supports lots of basic science. They always wanted to have their different neuroscientists work together. And not we would barely talk to each other, let alone work together. So that wasn't happening. So they thought, well, maybe we could get some of our physicists and nanoscientists to work with the neuroscientists. So they had this meeting. Everybody didn't understand what anybody else said in it. But at the very end of it, one guy stood up and said, I heard everybody say what they can do, but I haven't heard anybody say what they really want to do, even if you don't see how to do it. 
and that was the catalyst for it. Somebody else stood up and said, I want to be able to see what's going on in every cell in the brain at the same time. <laughs> and I was totally on board with that. There were six of us who thought it was a great idea. The entire rest of the meeting thought we were all out of our minds. <laughs> So this was a meeting of what, uh, psychologists, neurologists, uh, just, engineers? Just neuroscientists and nanoscientists. Nanoscientists, okay. How many people in the meeting? Maybe uh, 50. So six out of 50, okay. Six out of 50. <laughs> but then the key to it, the next step, was that the organizers said, well, I know somebody in the White House Office of Science and Technology, mm. and he wants to hear new ideas. Hmm. So we wrote up a white paper for him. And this was the depth of the, of the recession. I knew we had to have an economic argument. And I found this report that had calculated the return on investment of the Human Genome Project as being somewhere in the neighborhood of 140 to 1. <laughs> Massive economic stimulus. So I quoted that. Hmm. So they liked the report, and a year and a half passed. And the way we knew that they had chosen it was when the president quoted that in his State of the Union address. Oh, my gosh. That. I remember that. Huh. And I fell off my chair. I was going to say, like, what, what, Somebody's how, listening. How did you feel after you regained consciousness? That's right. right. <laughs> he said that, and he followed it by saying, and scientists are now mapping the human brain. And I knew that had to be us. Oh, my gosh. So that was kind of, so That's what, what, what year was that, 2013? That was 2013. That January. was in February of 2013. Well, okay. So, and he had just uh, get inaugurated, got, uh, re-inaugurated, I guess, in in January. And we just had Erwin Jacobs on that prior to that show. And uh, yeah, Erwin did the show prior to the re, uh, the well, the inauguration or re-inauguration. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, gosh, we have to take a break. We'll be right back with Dr. Ralph Greenspan, all about the brain and the CalBrain Initiative. Uh, right after this, hang on. I could while away the hours conferring with the flowers. All right, there, the Justin. Good work. Everyone remembers this song. I'm going to wait for the... Okay, right there. We're back. <laughs> Ralph, you've heard that song before, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's a great one. But um, anyway, so you heard the president give this great uh, little allusion to your uh, white paper in the uh, uh, State of the Union. And what happened next in January in, in 2013? Then, uh, in April, then like on, on the weekend of Good Friday, we're just settling in for a holiday weekend, we get an email saying, can you come to the White House Tuesday morning at 9 a.m. for a discussion of investment in research? Which is a rhetorical question. Literally, that's what it said. <laughs> so, and, oh, and by the way, the Secret Service needs to check you out, so send us all this information right. about yourself. Oh, my gosh. So, uh, obviously, they, they took care of all the accommodations and fly, I would hope, right? It was on there? Uh, no, no, no. It was a large group who was going to this. Right. So, we had to do all that on our own. But the Cavley Foundation took us there. So, that was very gotcha. nice. So, this happened on a Tuesday afternoon in, in, uh, in, January, in, in 2013 in the White House. How many people were there? Uh, it was big. It was in the East Room. It was full. There were about 200 people. <laughs> uh, all the luminaries from... The major government agencies like NIH and NSF and DARPA, DARPA mm -hmm. um, the the many prominent scientists from all over, uh, and then somewhere in the back were the six of us. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sure you knew a lot of people in the room, correct? I oh mean, yeah, oh yeah, definitely. It must have been pretty exciting. Yes, did did you know? Did you know what the nature of the announcement was going to be in advance, or do you? Uh... No, no. But we had an idea that we knew that uh, NIH was playing a big role in it. And the director of NIH, Francis Collins, did a very nice uh, introduction in introducing the president as our scientist-in-chief. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Well, that must have been that must have blown your mind away. So, in a nutshell, what is? I know that you've probably talked about this before on the air, but uh, for the benefit of our listeners, what did the president say? He gave, I think, the best justification for government uh, investment in basic science that I've ever heard anybody give. Hmm. Uh, under you know, about really why it's at the heart of all of our technology breakthroughs, huh. and that they just don't happen otherwise because so often. They come from basic studies, which you didn't even start out thinking were going to have that application. Huh. Well, it's true. I mean, a lot of uh, a lot of industry and commerce have developed out of government technologies and government funded programs. And did, did he go through a laundry list of any of those? Or yeah, there've yeah, there been f- this. This is the fourth in a series that have been all major drivers. The first was the moonshot, mm-hmm. and out of which came some, the minor. This is the minor industry of microelectronics. Then uh, the war on cancer, which produced the biotechnology industry. Mm -hmm. And the Human Genome Project, which produced a completely unanticipated DNA sequencing industry. Mm -hmm. And we know that our neurotechnology push is going to produce a range of different kinds of things. Because that's what always happens when you invest in technology. Well, they think the biotech sector is now, you're now going to have the neurotech sector, right? That's right. So there'll, That's be, right. there'll be an Illumina just devoted to neurotechnology as opposed to gene sequencing, something like that, right? Right. But in addition, this is also going to have applications that have nothing to do with medicine, that have to do with smarter computers or more effective ways of handling data or ways of designing networks. Robotics, everything. All huh? of that. All of that. So it must be a challenge to get all these different disciplines in one room, engineers, physicists, uh, and then how do you, I mean, they must have to have a common mission, right, or project. Uh, so how well, I was going to ask, is it, is it competitive in that sense that people are trying to one-up one another? Science is, research is, is intrinsically competitive. People are always trying to uh, outdo their peers, mm-hmm. but it's kind of a, you know, it's not a, it's, it's usually not a nasty kind of competition, sure. uh, and certainly getting funded to do research is highly competitive. But the big problem, as you allude to, is that there's a totally different languages in these different areas. Mm-hmm. People think of the think of the world and of what they're doing in completely different ways. Mm-hmm. So we sponsored some afternoon uh, get-togethers where people would sit around, have some food and drink. Somebody would have a, give an informal talk at a blackboard, and everybody could ask questions. And I warned all the neuroscientists that the engineers weren't going to care the least bit about what they thought was interesting about how the brain worked. <laughs> They're going to want to know what's it made of, how long, you know, how big is the signal, mm-hmm. how far will it travel, how much does it weigh? Yeah, all Me- that kind of measuring stuff. Measuring the electromagnetic uh, spectrum right. and all that. And the- so they were ready for it. <laughs> and the other thing that's really different is the, the attitude towards a, towards a technical challenge. We biologists are used to dealing with the techniques that we have at hand. So when we somebody says to do something that we don't have, see a way to do, we say, "Well, I don't see. You know, I don't think we can do that." You tell that to an engineer, and that gets them all fired up. Mm-hmm. They say, "We'll figure out how to make that happen." Mm. So it's a it's a fantastic marriage, and it's already been highly productive. Well, let's take some of the, the, let's say Alzheimer's. I'm sure a lot of people are looking at that. Or, or what, what are some of the major initiatives or projects that you're focusing on right now? 
Well, yeah. part of the part of the virtue of this approach and the reason that the benefits are going to be so broad is that these technologies will be useful for everything that the brain does and all disorders of the brain. Mm. Because the goal is to be able to see and understand much better in real time, broadly, what the brain is actually doing, much yeah. more than we can currently see with the imaging. Function. Yeah. Okay. And to know what is what is happening in, in psychiatric disease that makes the circuits not function right. Where are they wrong? We can't know the disorder until we know the order. Is that's that right. It? Otherwise, we're just treating symptoms. Gotcha. And that's the key here is how to get to the crux of what's wrong in these disorders. Mm -hmm. Or in something like traumatic brain injury, seeing very early on that you've got a problem and, and trying to arrest it before it develops into a full-blown syndrome. Hmm. For Alzheimer's, it'll be detecting it way before there are symptoms. So mm -hmm. you can stop the degeneration. But, but in terms of return on investment, wouldn't Alzheimer's be the most logical place to start just given demographics and the projection of how many people over a certain age and the cost of care and the increase well, in cost of care and from longevity? The, and From the medical point of view, that's certainly a big one. But in fact, as the head of the National Institutes of Mental Health has shown over and over again in his talks, the aggregate cost of all to all of society for brain disorders goes actually way beyond Alzheimer's because okay. it has to do with things like psychiatric disease and disabilities, um, a, a paralysis, stroke, and injury, which cause lifelong loss of income and lifelong expen care expenses. So like depression and things like that, which uh, I've right. seen some statistics that maybe up to 20% or maybe 25% of, of, of all of us suffer some kind of mental disorder. That's, so. that's right. But the other aspect of return on investment is that these technologies, even before they result in medical uh, devices or medical applications, will in themselves be new industries. Very, very small micro and nanoscale wireless devices going to have huge applications. Uh, sensors that are capable of receiving and relaying things. These are all things that I'm sure we're going to, are going to make you know, different kinds of smartphones and things like that but on the way to getting to brain disease so, cures. So we'll have some implants going on uh, in the cranium, you're thinking, well, <laughs> or for, something. It's already being done in a, in a fairly crude way for Parkinson's disease hmm. and for chronic depression. And we can do that in a much less uh, harmful and with, disruptive way. With some positive revo results? Or? Oh, in Parkinson's, it's like a miracle. Huh. Somebody's symptoms will instantly disappear when they, when they do the stimulus, huh. uh, and, and that can be lasting for a while. And there's some new controversial uh, uh, studies with or usage of, of transcranial uh, magnetic waves that they're, they're using for depression and PTSD and all that. Uh, that's got a lot of potential. Which uh, we're not sure. I don't think we fully understand it yet. But That's right. That's right. This will help us to understand why that's working and also to help make it more, more better targeted. Yeah, boy, amazing, amazing. Well, we have to take another break, but it's all about the brain, folks. Get over to sdbrain.org and learn some more, and we'll be right back with Dr. Ralph Eastman, uh, Greenspan after new sports weather. Hang on. We're back with the second half of the award-winning It's Your Money and Your Life. Over to Richard to thank our sponsors. Big thank you as always to our sponsors. We couldn't do it without UBS, Mr. Michael Carancha and Drew Friedis. Thank you, gentlemen. And again, UBS at the top of our list. Um, last week's guest, great show, Jason Kruger with Signature Analytics, the best CFO company here 
Well, now west of the Mississippi, since he's no longer local, he's regional. It's great to see our sponsors growing so quickly all across the West Coast. Our other favorite CPAs, Plato Epic CPAs, up in San Marcos, Don Epic and Paul Polito with Plato Epic CPAs. Speaking of big brains, how about Carl Sheeler with Berkeley Research Group, by far and away the best business valuation firm on the planet, helping business owners understand the risks that drive the values of those businesses, how to reduce risk and increase value. Speaking of making money, just had lunch with him the other day at Star, Joel Grushkin, cost segregation initiatives, helping real estate owners improve their cash flow. Now, for all this money you're making with Joel Grushkin and Carl Sheeler, we have Brenda Geiger with the Geiger Law Office, specializing in estate planning and asset protection. She wrote a great new book. She's next week's guest, along with her co-author, David Fries. California Republic Bank, Mr. Lane Elliott, a very interesting niche market bank, now here in UTC, specializing in, in working with wealthy families and family offices. Hub International, also known as Mars Maddox Insurance, by far and away the best employee benefits firm that I have ever come across. The LG Experience and the Lombardi Group, helping wealth advisors make heroes out of CPAs and helping those CPAs do amazing work for their very, very best clients. Paul Hines with Hearthstone Private Wealth Management and the EndFinancialAbuse.org organization. Again, EndFinancialAbuse.org, preventing elder financial abuse here in our community. Last but not least, yes, women's professional tennis coming back to Carlsbad Thanksgiving week, running it side-by-side side with my Oceanside Turkey Trot. I'm expecting 18,000 people over Thanksgiving morning, so if you think you have a lot of folks coming over, I probably have you beat. But, yes, we have a tennis tournament going on, too. Check out cldclassic.com. And a big thank you to Courtney Lover at PopX Graphics for, well, what on earth does Courtney do, Joe? Courtney does our wonderful website. Boy, does she ever, and it is a, an award-winning website. Mm -hmm. She has all the guests there, alphabetical, alphabetically, and we'll have Dr. Greenspan under G, I think. Would be yeah, a we go by last name, not first. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, a lot of great shows. I actually listened to, I listened to that, uh, Professor Frank Partnoy and Bill Lirax this week. I uh, went back there. They're still good stuff, and uh, they're a few years old, but it's still very relevant to what's going on today's crazy markets and Wall Street and elsewhere. Yeah, you know, most of the research my youngest daughter, Demi, does at San Jose State for her papers comes from our radio show. She doesn't read anything. She just goes to the website. Oh, well, I got to give her an A right there. Exactly. So. <laughs> That's why she's got a 3.9 GPA. Wow. So the show the show will pay off for your, 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 brain, work, your brain work at some point. Speaking of which, let's give the website. It's sdbrain.org, and then there's cal-brain.org, and then there's C-B-A-M, C-B-A-M dot C-B-A-M dot U-C-S-D dot E-D-U. Ralph, what, what is the meaning of all those websites? I guess there's a lot of commonality there, at least for the, the, the uh, SD brain and Cal brain, right? Uh, well, it's all overlapping in terms of the uh, uh, goal. And so right after we came back from the White House in April of 2013, which our chancellor was also present for, he had actually taken me aside the night before and said he wanted to start something on the campus for, to do this. Hmm. So that's where CBAM came from, the mm -hmm. center that he asked me if I wanted to uh, help run. For which, brain activity mapping. Doing. Mm -hmm. And our role and our goal is helping to galvanize the scientists on the campus to be able to take advantage of this new initiative. Mm -hmm. So we sponsored these meetings to get the engineers talking with the neuroscientists. He allocated some of his... Uh, scarce funds for mm -hmm. us to 
give out as seed grants to help start projects. Mm -hmm. And those helped people get the starting results they would need to get a federal grant. Mm -hmm. And then there was the, the state uh, initiative, uh, AB 1465 in, the, in, the, in California, I guess it was past June of 2014, which is just last year. Uh, how do those all dovetail or work together? Well, so in the first summer of 2013, from out of the blue, I get this phone call <laughs> from Sacramento. Now the governor a, a wants staff to see it. <laughs> A staff member from the Senate Majority Leader's office, Ellen Corbett, saying they've heard about this brain initiative and they think it could be important for California. What, what is it? <laughs> so I gave him the spiel <laughs> with, the big, uh, with the economic argument because uh, they're part of a new emerging jobs panel. And they said, oh, we like it. We're going to come down there and hold a hearing in October. So they did, and we put on a show for them. And they went back up. They said, okay, we're going to put something on the books. So first thing in January, Senator Corbett uh, proposed this Senate bill to set up CalBrain. And then through the course of the spring, and I went up and testified several times, they finally uh, passed it and uh, allocated a starting amount of money of a couple of million for us, which is a fantastic start, which we then set up a California organization and we gave out project grants to people who submitted proposals to that. And we got 16 projects going and we're now sitting on the edge of our seats waiting to hear what we're gonna get for next year because the California legislators are still arguing over the budget, yeah. believe it or not. Yeah. Well, the, fed, the federal initiative uh, provided with $300 million over 10 years, so $30 million a year, right, Richard? Is my math correct? Yeah, $30 million a year. And then uh, this brain initiative for the state, um, I guess they initially $110 million for um, 2014. So is California ahead of the curve there? Any other states that you know of doing something similar? No, and that's what we kept saying is that we should be ahead of everyone. Mm, exactly. And that was part of the motivation for it. Mm -hmm. And that it's perfect for California because we've got all the sectors that will contribute to this, mm -hmm. and we've got a much better history of working together than any of the others. Sure. So mapping the brain analogous to mapping the genome project, uh, exactly, I mean, there's a lot more cells in the brain uh, than we're talking about with the genes, aren't we? I mean, yeah, so and also they ha we have to do a lot more technology development to start the project than they did. Mm -hmm. They knew how to sequence, but if they were going to do the genome, it would have taken them 100 years. <laughs> uh, so they had to speed it up. They had to figure out how to do it more efficiently. We're still at the point where we're exploring what will be the technology that will get us there. Hmm. So we're at an earlier stage and more of a technology development stage. So, and it'll be that way for a while. So this three-pound mass of um, material between our ears has about how many cells in it? It comes to the tens of billions, right? I think the last count I heard was 86 billion. <laughs> give, or, give or take a few. <laughs> Unless you grew up in the 60s, in which case it's a lot less. <laughs> so what's the Robin Williams comment? If you can remember the 60s, you weren't really the, there. Then you weren't there. I, thought, I, heard, I think David Crosby said the same thing. So, But... Um, Anyways, so you're you're not even looking at therapies right now. Right now, we're we're still trying to get get the technologies to even uh, uh, map the brain out. Is that is that where we're at? We're doing both. Both. We have we have long term projects and we have short term projects. Okay. And a couple of the CalBrain projects that are already yielding results are new diagnostics. Mm -hmm. One of them is a a tracer for PET scanning, which is a standard medical imaging for the brain that will detect inflammation for immediate 
detection of a traumatic brain injury. Hmm. Even when there's no physical blow to the head, hmm. you can still see it with this. And then there's another project that's got another kind of pet tracer to use for giving you a kind of a signature map. When you say pet, you don't mean your dog or cat. You mean the, the uh, positron that's electrode. That's right. It's called positron emission tomography. Okay, there yeah. you go. Like it's a pet a, scan. That's exactly it. Okay. Yeah, it's the kind that's used all the time in cancer diagnosis okay. and, and, brain, and, and other sorts of okay. imaging. Uh, the other one they're working on is a, uh, a signature tr- pattern that you can see for the, with this tracer of the patterns of gene activity in the brain which will be diagnostic for all of these diseases once we know what patterns to look for. Huh. And then we have a couple that are prosthetics for people who uh, have loss of, of, of movement to make the artificial limbs be more, pers- more responsive and things like that. So it's a sophisticated form of connecting dots, basically. Yeah, uh, so we have some, and- some things that will yield results in, in the near term, and some diving deep to get things that will be even more important, mm-hmm. but which will take longer. Outstanding. So, Richard, any questions? <laughs> so, so curious, will, will you be able to reverse things that were previously considered irreversible, loss of hearing, loss of sight, loss of smell, those types of issues? Well, we don't know, of don't course, know. for sure. Course. But those are po- but there are a lot of possibilities out of this mm-hmm. because one of the things that uh, these uh, little tiny micro and nanoscale devices might be able to do is to help compensate for activities in the brain that are imbalanced or that right. aren't working right. So it, there's there's a lot of potential there that we can't even imagine at this point. Wow. Hmm. Outstanding. Well, let's take a break right there and, and uh, think about that for a few seconds, folks. We'll be back with Dr. Ralph Greenspan of the California Brain Initiative, et cetera, et cetera, right after this. Bye-bye. Right, we're in the home stretch with Dr. Ralph Greenspan, who is director of the California Brain Initiative, and his website, uh, one of them, is sdbrain.org. And I know you've got an important event coming up in September, Ralph. Shall we discuss that? It's called Our Precious Brains, right? Yes, this is going to be a public uh, event for information to, on what the Brain Initiative is about and on the state of what is currently possible to do in different kinds of brain disorders including Mm -hmm. this new technique that you mentioned earlier of magnetic resonance therapy, Hmm. which seems to have broad application and lots of benefits for a whole variety of things that affect uh, brain function. You're going to have some scientists, some clinicians, and survivors, and a lot of topics that interest us all. Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, brain injury, stroke, epilepsy, autism, mental illness and depression, and uh, somebody knows somebody with one of those at least that uh, that are out there, don't you think, Richard? Absolutely. That's Saturday, September 12th. 9 to 4. 9, 9 to 4, conveniently scheduled so you don't have to miss our radio show at 7. Okay. And um, it's at the Sanford Consorti- Consortium Auditorium, which is that beautiful new auditorium uh, that they built right off of the glider port there. Right, Torrey Pine Scenic Drive. 2880 Torrey Pine Scenic Drive, yeah. to be precise. Which is just north of the Salk Institute. You can't miss it. Exactly. So, and get over there for a cup of coffee, if nothing else, because it's a beautiful... You climb the stairs and you look out, it's uh, pretty amazing. They did a nice yeah, job. So over. 9 to 4, go have dinner, and then turn on the radio at 7, from 7 to 8. <laughs> and, and there'll be plenty of parking because it's got its own parking right there Mm -hmm. and this is open to anybody it's for for people who are interested for people who 
are affected by any of these brain disorders for families for any for everyone now as we get closer because some people may not be able to spend the whole day will you have the time uh, everything mapped out as far as who's speaking when and which subject matter i mean that might be helpful if you could break it down a little. yes once we have our schedule set we're going to put that on the web Great. we'll also have a registration link uh, that people can go to it's free but at least we get an idea of who's of how many are coming so the website would be sdbrain.org for people to register? That's right, All yes. Right. Outstanding, outstanding. Well, speaking of brain, what would be two or three really good things to improve our brain health or at least maintain it? And what are some bad things that we should avoid? Just, I know you're not a, doc, you know, a medical doctor, but uh, you've been studying the brain long enough and maybe have seen some studies uh, related to those questions. So what do you think? Well, I think one, one clear thing, and it's not just for the brain, but it really does seem to make a difference to it, is uh, it doesn't do any good to be a couch potato. Mm-hmm. It does a lot of good to be active and also to be uh, mentally active. Mm-hmm. Uh, to th- and things that combine the two seem to be particularly good. So, so the old adage, healthy mind, healthy body. Motor to... learning and things of that sort. You know, like... Unless it's boxing. <laughs> Just That's probably true. That's probably true. But you, you, you would recommend uh, just some good cardiovascular exercise will improve brain function? Yes, for sure, because having good circulation to the brain is, is, is a long-term important thing for its health. Uh, but also uh, being active, doing things with your brain, reading or... Or, or, or doing activities that really require you to puzzle things out or think them through or anything of that sort. Uh, just, you know, not being a passive recipient. Hmm. And, and how about human interaction? As you get older, spending more time with people as opposed to less time with people in interaction. Yes, I mean, that certainly seems to be a big benefit. I don't know if it's primarily just because it makes people happier mm-hmm. to do that, it makes them feel better, or, or whether that in turn also feeds back onto the health of the brain, which it may, because you know everything is interconnected. How about music, uh, either playing an instrument and or just uh, listening to various types of, I mean, I've heard that listening to bar- Baroque music or something actually enhances brain function. It, it, I think doing it is much more effective than just listening to it. Mm-hmm. Listening to it, I think, has some, some degree of benefit, mm-hmm. but, but the doing of it, which does involve this kind of motor learning and thinking and, 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 and keeping track and timing and so on. That's really very good for it. I know they were studying uh, symphony conductors, not only, not only because of their music uh, interests, but obviously the physical activity of moving the arms and everything else, and they, they thought that had something to do with, with longevity. Uh, yes, but I think that it also has to do with adulation. Mm, oh. <laughs> I think they get, so much, they get so much ego reinforcement <laughs> that that makes them live forever. Well, I guess it couldn't hurt. <laughs> some some people have more needs than others, I guess. But um, so, uh, what what particular project um, you know would you like to tout right now that uh, that's you're working on? Have we hit most of the the highlights, or is there one that uh, you think there's a big breakthrough coming? Uh, you know, any day, week, or month? Um? Well, for the ones that have real long term possibilities, I think the idea of these very tiny and non-harmful devices that can uh, either be on the surface or just under the surface and and help reorganize brain activity to correct uh, deficits like movement disorders and things of that sort have tremendous possibilities. Um, Also, all kinds of new approaches towards how to image the brain, 
how to see things that we now can't currently see, hmm. um, that will all make a huge difference. So, no, there isn't a single one that I can say right now, aha, this is going to be it. Um, but, but there are all these irons in the fire that have, I think, terrific possibilities. Have you been over? I, was, I heard the CEO of Illumina last week, and I asked him about longevity because they're obviously the gene sequencing kings of the hill over there. And uh, I, I said, gee, once, they, once you're able to prevent or address a lot of disease early on and, and, and eliminate that, I said, obviously, we're going to have people living long enough. We could find the gene that's, that's aging us or slow down that. They're probably working on that. And I said, how long are people, you know, going to live? And he goes, well, we think the person that's going to live to be 150 has already been born. So that's pretty incredible. Cause that's, most... that's pretty optimistic. <laughs> pretty optimistic. <laughs> they won't look a day over 142. <laughs> so, and of course, uh, Dr. Venter's Institute's over near you. So do you f- folks cross paths and have coffees or, or meetings, conferences or whatever, the genetic part and the, and the brain part? Uh, well, not so much yet, although we, I know them, and, we, and, and I've talked with some of those people, and there are plenty of interactions that go on over various sorts of research projects. But being able to make the link up between the, what the genes are doing and what the brain is doing is going to come, but it's not really there yet hmm. uh, in, 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 in most of what we're working on. But not entirely, because as I mentioned, we have a couple of projects going that really are designed to track gene activity in the brain, not just the electrical and chemical activity. Mm. And that's slower, but it's really important for the development and the, and the survival and the brain states. And well, it all works together, right? I mean, it's my humble opinion. And if people are going to live longer, which seems to be the case, it's, it's imperative that the brain function longer and better and healthier, because I think the worst possible human existence is your body. The heart keeps beating and your brain is literally not capable of functioning in any sort of way that you were used to, you know, during your life. And you're basically a vegetable at that point. And we see it happen all the time, so yeah. it seems like it would be critical. Well, there's it some animals. No, I, I, read, I read something today that starfish and a few other living creatures don't even have a brain. So how is, maybe you ought to study them. How are they able to breathe? And- you know, I know some politicians. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, isn't that, how are they able to function without a brain? Uh, have we figured that out? I- uh, well, it, it's not as much effort has been put into that kind of work as into how humans work, but... Yeah, we know a few things about them. Hmm. I mean, the simplest ones are like jellyfish. Hmm. And the jellyfish, which we actually study in my lab, too, mm-hmm. because it's a place where we can see a whole nervous system all at once. Hmm. It's simple. Uh, and they just coordinate the swimming of the, of the jellyfish and respond to s- things in their environment and so on. Uh, for some of them that don't have um, a full-blown nervous system, They'll still have local responses that use some of the same uh, mechanisms. Well, there's just a minimum threshold of of something. They have to know when to eat and whatever. No, but a sponge, for instance. Even the sponges have cells that have electrical activity and contract and and help it to, you know, to trap food. So none of these things came from from full-blown from nowhere. Mm -hmm. They evolved from simpler forms. Hmm. And we can get a vague idea of what some of the precursors might have looked like 
by looking at the simple ones that still exist. And of course, we haven't even discovered all life forms yet because Cameron went way down there. But anyway, Dr. Ralph Greenspan, thanks so much for being our guest. That was fun. Thank you very much. SDBrain.org and get ready for September 12th, folks, and see what's going on out there. And Richard, great seeing you. And uh, Justin Hart on our board, thanks for making us sound great tonight. And thanks to Craig Blanke, our account executive, and to Dave Smith, our programming genius here, KFMB, for all his help and support. All these podcasts are at iymoney.com commercial free. Have a great week, everybody. Good night now.